Okay, as in go. Sorry, one second. Fork Tales, a podcast that feeds the food and beverage world. Oh, awesome. Fortales is brought to you by Vigor, a branding and marketing agency for passion-driven, innovative restaurant, beverage, and hospitality brands. Learn more at vigorbranding.com. If you love what we're serving up, please give Fortales a five-star review on your podcast service of choice. Think of it as a tip for good service. Everyone, today I'm joined by Michael Pavone. Uh, you say, who's Michael Pavone? Well, Michael Pavone is the head of Pavone Advertising um, and Marketing Group. Uh, they own a number of companies that we're going to unpack. And I think most importantly, the reason why he's on the podcast today is he is the official new owner of Vigor, in case you haven't heard. So, Michael, say hello and give a little bit of backstory. Hey, guys. Um, as Joseph said, my name is Michael Pavone, CEO of Pavone Marketing Group. Uh, it's really an honor to be here uh, for several reasons. Uh, backstory, um, I started my first agency 30 years ago. Uh, I had $300 in my checking account. It's no lie. It's all I had. And I started with a first little account and then brought on uh, a partner and, and my first employee soon thereafter, about a year later. Um, we were located in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, not the advertising mecca of the world. Uh, I was a creative guy. I wanted to work on big brand stuff. So we kind of jumped on the whole niching and standing for something uh, early on. Uh, and what do I mean by that? Uh, Pavone was a general agency. We would work on anything that anybody would bring to us because <laughs> when you start with $300, you got to pay the rent. And, and it was, it was uh, hand to mouth for, for, for the first five years for sure. Uh, and then we started to niche out and find uh, uh, practice groups, subject matter experts, uh, and it really allowed us to grow nationally and allowed our folks in, to work on big national brands. Awesome. So before we get into the acquisitions and everything, um, we recently celebrated an accolade. Um, we received Adweek's fastest growing agencies 2021. Um, that's big. So, so tell me, why, why is that important to you, the agency? Why should it matter? You know, uh, that's a great question. And, and, you know, it's one of those things where when you set out, to start something, you, you, you dream big and you try and really reach for the stars, if you will. Uh, I'll be honest. I didn't know that, that, that our agency would ever be 75th, you know, top 75 fastest growing agencies in that week. That's a, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's probably the most prestigious, uh, uh, you know, uh, national trade publication, uh, in our industry. And to, to be recognized by that is just, a, a an awesome accomplishment by all of our our team and our partners. So it's, uh, it's, 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 it's really humbling and it's really exciting. Nice. Um, so what, what do you think led to that? Is it strictly just the, the acquisitions of other agencies and, you know, how's that measured for people that don't know? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, ironically, uh, the last acquisitions we did didn't count towards that. Okay. So prior to that, we had done a couple small, uh, acquisitions. So I imagine that helped bolster it up a little bit. Um, Pavone marketing group is made up of about six different agencies now, and I can get into that a little bit if you want, but, uh, the one that was recognized, uh, as the fastest growing was actually Pavone of Pavone marketing group. And that was just based on new business, uh, wins and growth. Um, so, 
uh, it was just one of those things where we really had a great year in new business and just kind of, uh, uh, you know, high tide rises all boats. <laughs> yeah. So, so Pavone was the OG. It was the original um, agency. Uh, we'll call it a traditional ad agency uh, when it started. Um, but I believe it was in the 2000s. You sort of foresaw this, I don't know, um, impending shift um, or whatever you want to call it. And, and you took the, what I think is a gutsy move to spin off sub brands underneath the Pavone name. And those brands include quench, which focuses on food and beverage varsity, which focuses on active adult lifestyles, just to name a couple. Um, what did you see that reinforced this idea and decision and, and how do you think it's panned out? Yeah. So, uh, you know, really great question. I guess, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, right? So uh, candidly, uh, I started out as a creative and when you start out, like I said, small, you know, in a, in a obviously a, I'll say a, a C market. And I, I, I love our, I love central Pennsylvania. So I'm not, I'm not, uh, uh, dishing on, on central PA or Harrisburg, but I mean, look, it's not a, a major metropolitan area. It's not a major advertising area, but I, as a creative wanted to work on really cool national brands. Right. And back in 1992 and 93, it was all about winning awards and getting national recognition. So, Okay, so you, you pick up what you got, the local hospital, the local bank, and you do the best you can, and you win awards locally, but it's like, man, you can't, you can't jump out of that, that regional sort of uh, 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 area or arena. So what we did was our first adventure was sort of, uh, and again, starting in 92, I want to say it was probably like 98. I could be off by, I'm not good with time and space. I could be off by a year or two or three or four. Yeah, if you asked me, 98 was last week, but... Whatever. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny you say, like, you know, you started out as a traditional agent. Well, hell, that's all there was because there's no such thing as digital then, you know? Yeah. But anyway, yep. <laughs> uh, I still remember mechanicals. So that's how old I am. I used to do paste up mechanicals back in the day, cut ruby <laughs> lift and all that stuff. So, anyway, I digress. Um, so, what my thought was, uh, and I was wrong, was we're going to create this thing, Varsity. And the reason we did it was because we're like, okay, everyone's going to get old at the same time. And so that's obvious. It's happening right now. All the boomers are going to age out at the same time, and they have an awful lot of buying power. So let's be the the expert in the boomers. Let's let's really know that generation. And before you know it, you know Cadillac's going to come to us, and Callaway Golf is going to come to us. You know, because every sixty five year old is going to want to hit a golf ball two hundred yards still. And it's like I thought all these guys are going to come as well. I was wrong, completely wrong. <laughs> it didn't happen. We started the agency, and what did happen though? is we became somewhat of the, I'll say, the thought leader in senior living. So Varsity was the first niche agency that we started organically, and now it's grown to be one of the largest uh, senior living agencies in the United States. I'm very proud of their growth. In fact, uh, last year during COVID, they, they, they really took, that agency really took a hit. And because, I mean, the, the, you know, COVID really affected the, the retirement communities nationally. I mean, it was just horrible. And all of a sudden, because of the smart, I'll say, foresight of, uh, uh, of our partners and, and the team at Varsity, they created this Varsity Roundtable, which almost became like a self-help group for CEOs and senior living. And it started, we did it for our clients, but others joined and it got really big and it still to this day goes on. And it's become like an incredible growth engine for the agency. Uh, you know, that agency has been on a hockey stick trajectory. So it has just really been knocking the ball out of the park, and it's really quite exciting. So that was our first foray into a niche agency. 
again, though, it didn't satisfy, I'll say, my personal need, maybe ego, to do cool stuff for national brands. So the next move we made, maybe another five or seven years later, was we organically created another agency. We had two brands in our portfolio that were in the food and beverage space. One was Turkey Hill, and that was the iced tea and the ice cream. And the other one was Yingling Beer. So we worked on both of those brands for many years. Turkey Hill was about a 16-year relationship. And Yingling, we worked on for a good four, maybe 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 it was more like seven years, I guess. But during a lot of their growth out of Pennsylvania, up and down the East Coast. So we really had a, a major impact on both those brands. We loved doing both those brands. Uh, it's products that my mom and dad had heard of. Uh, back when we started the agency in the first five years, we'd literally, there'd be six of us or eight of us. We would literally get have our annual meeting and we'd get my mom and dad on a speakerphone and we would ask them. Our goal was to work on brands that my mom and dad had actually heard of, right? <laughs> so we'd go through these B2B things and all these tech things or these health things. And, they, and we have no idea what you're talking about. I'm like, what is that? We have no idea. And then I'd say something like, you know, Yingling. And they're like, we love Yingling. And, you know, <laughs> the, the agency would go. But it was as, it was as sort of like uh, simple and grassroots and uh, maybe as gorilla as that. It was just a, a really, we were always a really scrappy group. So that, that's really the first, you know, three agencies and how they kind of, how they kind of split off. And, and what was really interesting is, you know, we tell our clients to, to, to really stand for something. And own your brand. So we created these individual companies with subject matter experts that really know this business. So the food and beverage folks are really sort of steep. Well, not sort of. They're steep in CPG. Uh, they know what it means when Bentonville calls to our clients. They have empathy for our clients because they've sat in there. They've done shelf sets. They've been uh, uh, category captains, right? So they understand that niche. The senior living folks, they know what the, 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 the whole sort of buying uh, perspective is of a senior. They've actually worked. Some of these folks actually worked in communities. Uh, so they understand what's important. They, they understand the objections uh, to the sale. They understand what the, what the folks are going through. There's a lot of empathy there, on, both on the, the client side, I'll say, and the customer side. So the, having experts in each category is extremely valuable to clients. I mean, you know, I mean, a lot of people say, well, if you're good at marketing and, and advertising, you just do anything for anybody. Well, yeah, but there's a learning curve. And yeah, there's an awful lot of institutional knowledge that these agencies have that I'll say general folks may not have and don't have. So that's really uh, a big boon to our success. And what happened is we created a separate company and created a separate brand called Quench. And all of a sudden, food and beverage company, CPG Brands, noticed us. Starkist Tuna came to us. Sunmade Raisins came to us. Del Monte Foods, all these names that my parents certainly had heard of, <laughs> but they all came to us, you know, and uh, it's because of the great work that people do. It's about the, 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 the level of strategy and, and the, you know, the whole, the whole approach that we take. But, but they came to us because there was a brand out there that they said, hey, wait, we should be a part of that. We need to know about them because like in any marketing thing, people are attracted to certain brands. And so we became attractive to, to CMOs of uh, food and beverage companies. And uh, became very attractive to holding companies of retirement communities, you know, because they saw our performance over here. So uh, at the end of the day, uh, it's really interesting to me. Uh, it's all about the performance of the business for our clients. It's all about great creative that breaks through the clutter so that you can actually tell your client's story. And it's the strategy and talking to the right people at the right time. 
And then the last thing I'll couple it with, and this is another company that we just organically started, would be data. Data is all so important. And this is, I won't say it's new because it's not, but it's probably new in the last, say, eight years. So we had uh, jumped on that and hired a, a, a really smart uh, data scientist, and we built a company around him. And uh, it made for a really good debate internally because I'll say I personally said, hey, look, let's, let's attach the data analytics to Pavone and make that the agency that's really ingrained in data and data-driven. Uh, uh, one of the partners in the company said, Hey, I think it should be separate because I don't know if people are going to buy the fact that an ad agency understands data. I think it was a very savvy point. And hey, maybe this company will work for other agencies. Maybe this company will work for clients that won't be tied to the agencies. Again, a very savvy point that has happened. It took a, a few years for it to become profitable like any startup, but uh, I'm very proud to say in the last year here, it's really come into its own. And I look at that agent, that, that company, Wild Fig, it's called Wild Fig Data. I look at Wild Fig as a company that really uh, is the, the intel inside for Pavone, mm-hmm. for Quench, for Varsity, and soon Vigor. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just a really important piece of that puzzle that's out there now. Yeah, and, and I think you know all the things that you touched on are, are really important. So wh- one of the reasons why... It's many reasons why when I started Vigor, uh, it started general practitioner and then quickly became focused in on restaurants is um, the experiences that I had with large agencies were, um, okay, brand hires agency. Like you said, we can work for anyone. We're creative and we're smart and stuff. Um, And then the research and account strategy department spends four to eight weeks developing knowledge about the industry. And so, you know, what I saw is I saw a large agency come to a meeting with a client that was a restaurant client to tell them that people like getting delivered pizza. And, (laughs) you know, insights that were eureka moments for the agency because they weren't in this, but not for the restaurant industry. It's like, wow, we just paid you to learn the basics of our industry. And we don't really have any deep insights to show. Now, that's... um. Maybe, uh, you know, a blanket statement, a little bit unfair. Like, of course, some agencies come with eureka moments. But all in all, a lot of times agencies start from scratch and have to learn the ropes. Um, I think that's very not fair. I think that's very silly, actually. So why not foster that expertise in-house? So it's like, yeah, 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 we know what's happening in the industry. We don't you don't need to pay us to learn that we're good. What we do need to figure out is your role in this agency. What's your cultural relevance? What's your you know, what's your claim to fame? What, why should people pay attention to you? And it seems that that is what, what you've done with Quench and Varsity and Wild Fig as well. Um, the Wild Fig thing always um, interests me because it reminds me of, uh, was it J. Walter Thompson that had the computer? Uh, like mm-hmm. way back in the 50s, 60s, whatever, mm-hmm. like they were the ones with a computer. Um, mm-hmm. I think Mad Men nodded to that uh, a couple <laughs> of times. Um, so it's almost like Wild Fig is our computer, which is pretty yeah. great. But so you, you build Quench, you build Wild Fig, you build Varsity, um, and, and then then you start to turn your sights. Maybe maybe it's just a matter of um, opportunity arose, but uh, recently acquired an agency called East West out of uh, New York City. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, as of um, – well, technically as of September 1, but publicly as of uh, last week or earlier this week, I should say, um, the acquisition of Vigor. What, Correct. What was the impetus behind those uh, evaluations and decisions – um, and what do you see uh, as, as what happens next? What's the broader okay. vision here? Um, great question. Uh, and 
you know, the vision statement, I want to have this great, like this knock you off your seat kind of statement. And it's, I I guess I don't, Uh, but, but the vision has been this really, it's been uh, to collect a bunch of really smart people that enjoy working together that can really uh, passionately uh, help move business that they care about. So businesses that they're, they're vested in. For instance, the varsity folks, I mean, they love their clients. They love the retirement community business. They love the senior health, active lifestyle. They, they, they're, they're, they're ingrained in it. Food and beverage, these folks, they, you know, they're, they're passionate about it. And just like when we met you, uh, the, the vigor side of things, you know, you are the, the guy that's the SME in restaurants. And, and, and candidly, the vision was simply this. Um, when the right opportunity presents itself and it fits into our overall vision, uh, we'll take advantage of it. So east-west, a uh, couple things. And again, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, right? So we start in Podunk, Harrisburg. Now, granted, we, we get out of we get out of Harrisburg once in a while, you know. Uh, but <laughs> every um, once in a while, every once in a while, we've been out of, out of this out of this town and, and, and seen the big city. But uh, you know, we we then jumped into Philadelphia and we opened up an office there. And that's growing uh, quite nicely. And then what we saw, too, in these acquisitions were obviously two very important cities. I mean, New York and Atlanta. And we, so we love location. But more important than that, in the East-West uh, proposition, uh, they're working with some really nice brands. Nabisco, Oreo, um, Reckitt Benkeiser, like Lysol, to, to name a few. Well, that fits in really nicely with Quench's CPG portfolio. And what East-West brought to the table was a, a solid uh, a background in point of sale and shopper marketing, which dovetails right into the Quench uh, uh, portfolio. So a real nice synergy from, hey, now we can offer this part of it, too. Um, when it comes to Quench and CPG, I mean, we, we like to say we can go from the sofa to the shelf, right? We need to, 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 to take, get our message out to the folks uh, sitting on the sofa and bring them the whole way, not just get them to the store. We've got to bring them to the whole way to the shelf and get them to buy. So we can do everything from the package design. We have nationally recognized package designers on our staff and all the way out through shopper marketing, which is all the stuff in the store and perimeter, and then back out to the, the mass medias, the social medias, the digital medias to reach the, the consumer. So we have that. When we went into the vigor thing, uh, not to not to play your ego up, but in some cases, you know, truthfully too, we're we're, we're also looking for talent, right? And so, and it's not necessarily like an East West case. It was not the, the the CEO or the president. That gentleman wanted to move in a different direction, and it just wouldn't have worked. These folks were a little bit rudderless because he was going in a different direction. So, you know, we just wanted their talent. They have some mm-hmm. great talent, some great clients, and they have a great skill set. And, and I'll say, in the case of vigor. And I told you this when we met, I, I, we wanted you, uh, mm-hmm. you're the SME in, in restaurants. You're the guy that that's going to drive this, this side of the business. And we know that, um, where it fits in and why I'll say vision wise. And maybe this goes back to this necessity's mother of invention. You know, we're, you know, we see an opportunity and we're going to move on it. So what would happen is was quench kept getting their name out there. Restaurants would reach out. And some of our folks internally would say, hey, we should go after this restaurant. We should work on that restaurant, which, okay, again, maybe uh, maybe you can work on restaurants because you can work on anything as an agency. But I do believe that having expertise is, is important to our clients and it's important to us. So that's where you come in. I saw a perfect opportunity to, to work and partner with you with your expertise in the restaurant side. 
we have a lot of, uh, of, of, of connections that, that can lead to more business in the restaurant side. Plus then as we put all these, uh, these sort of boutique agencies, expert, uh, agencies out there, we sort of have, have built a mothership in the background, which is sort of like the media side of things, the PR side of things, the development side of things. Uh, I mean, obviously back office, HR accounting. So that's all there that you wouldn't, you know, so we have the, the capabilities of, uh, of a large agency, but you know, it, we're bringing those capabilities to a smaller boutique agency of let's say 15, 20 people that are focused in a certain uh, category, maybe 30 people focused in a certain category, but then you have the weight of a bigger media strategy department behind it. So it's sort of the best of both worlds. And that's what we're trying to create uh, subject matter experts and categories yet having the bandwidth and the data analytics. I mean, not, not too many, 25, 30 person agencies can offer data analytics without outsourcing it completely and right. calling on somebody they'd never met before. So that's the, that's what we're trying to create here. And it really was, you know, it wasn't, uh, any brilliance I'll say on my part or, or, or the leadership's part. It was just, Hey, we started here in Harrisburg, you know, we're over going like this. How do we get noticed? You know, and, and quite honestly, that's what we do for a living, right? We get a client's notice. So mm-hmm. we just sort of took our own medicine along the way. And we're, we're building this based on the needs of the clients. Again, we tell our customers the same thing. Hey, what do your clients want? Not what do you want to make? What do your clients want? Well, that's, that's what we're doing. What do our right. clients want? You know, so they want people that care about their industry. They want subject matter experts. They don't want to teach their agency over and over again how to work on a restaurant or what POS system is in vogue yeah. in the restaurant. And they want people that are steeped in that stuff like you are. But they might want data analytics or they might want media buying power that they don't get in a small shop. So that's the beauty of what we're trying to trying to build. And so far, you know, it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, I mean, considering uh, to win to win the fastest growing basically during a pandemic. I mean, we're we're still in it. Um, yeah. In case in case people have forgotten. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that's great. So what does the future look like for PMG as a whole? Um, what's the. I guess, what's the big vision, the five-year plan, as it were? Um, are, are we going to open our first uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico uh, location? Because I'm happy to open that one. Um, mm-hmm. But if, you know, if you're looking more at St. Petersburg, Russia, I'll probably pass on that one. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a great question. Again, you know, uh, we are uh, always looking and we are always, uh, you know, it's a, we're looking at different opportunities. Uh, I mean, uh, the only international opportunity that we're looking at is, uh, uh, we are looking at one in Brazil. Uh, I'm kind of bullish on that. We'll see if it comes, goes anywhere, but, uh, super talented folks, uh, really good work ethic, uh, very digitally minded, uh, mm-hmm. just a, a great design aesthetic. I mean, just beautiful design aesthetic. So that's something I'm personally kind of excited about. Uh, you know, when it comes to, I'll say the international, we're a part of, you know, we're part of four A's here in the United States, but we're also part of ICOM, which is, a a, a group, international group of independent agencies. So a bunch of, of folks like Pavone marketing group, and we cover like, I think it's like 98% of the entire globe. So I've got a friend in St. Petersburg, Russia. In other words, I can reach out to another one of me that mm-hmm. can help us out that we meet a couple times together each year. So we know each other and we have each other's back. So, you know, we don't, well, we're not a, a, a tiny boutique agency. We're, we're a solid midsize, but we're not one of the large holding companies or anything like that. But now we have the, the bandwidth, if you will, or the, uh, uh I should say the, uh, exposure, 
uh, to the rest of the globe that we can really have boots and feet on the ground and uh, understand the culture and the uh, uh, the way that that you need to go to market in all these other countries. And we do use those groups for some of our clients now, which is really really quite nice. I love that. So this is probably the most important question of the entire uh, discussion. If you could have one meal, one more meal before leaving this plane, what would it be? Who would make oh, it and why? All right. So I'm going to answer this in probably a, a bizarre way. And, and this is going to really, lo- I'm going to lose a lot of credibility here, but here goes. Uh, I thought about this a lot. I had three <laughs> answers, but I'm going to go with really what the truth is. And that is if I only had one meal and it was my last, I would probably open up a jar of Jif peanut butter. It's now, so good. <laughs> it's bizarre, right? But I, I have a peanut butter addiction. In fact, and this is what makes me, uh, I guess, somewhat of a whack job. I actually reached out to the CEO of JM Smucker, who owns it. Yeah. And I, I wrote to him. I said, Dear General of Jeff. And I went into this whole thing about how I'm addicted to his product. And who better to passionately market it than someone like myself that owns a, a, an agency that, that does food and beverage and there's all these iconic American brands. What's more iconic than Jif peanut butter? Right. And uh, he never responded. I think he just thought I was a total crackpot. So <laughs> Yeah. Well, so to be clear, Jif is the best peanut butter in the world. I'm not just saying that because you're on. I mean, it is my preferred peanut butter yeah. next to my own. So during the pandemic, oh. I started making my own peanut butter. Wow. Um, I did not know that. I have to try it. I would love to try it. a very goofy thing that I just started doing. Um I'll tell you why I started doing it is, uh, the sugar content of peanut butter just annoyed me. Um, and so I started making peanut butter out of, um, almond oil and, Mm -hmm. uh, of course peanuts and, um, monk fruit sweetener. So I make, uh, something that has a very low glycemic index and a very low caloric content compared to, you know, um, traditional peanut butters. That is, but, I'd like to try it. I'd like to try yeah, it. Maybe I do, I, make some I sugar. Hear you on, <laughs> yeah. I, I hear you on the, on the, on the sugar content, but boy, is it ever good. And I've always eaten it. I just grew up on it I, so much so that I realized I have a two ounce a day habit. I actually measured it, which might not seem like a lot <laughs> two ounce a day, but that means in, I go through in 10 days, whatever it is, it's a, it's a 22 ounce jar. I mean, that's yeah. one of those big, that's one of those big jars myself. That's, that's, uh, yeah. that's out of control. That's out of control. So that's okay. It's well, it sounds like it is in control cause you've measured it. So that's good. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll have a bunch of links to, um, all of the brands in, in the family of uh, PMG. So people can take a look. Um, and for, for those that are listening or watching, keep on, uh, listening. I'm actually going to have, um, a preview of the audio book, uh, of the bullhearted brand. So, uh, we're going to have a little reading, uh, from the upcoming audio version of that. So stick around for that. Um, Mike, thanks for hopping on board and uh, chatting with us. And I look forward to this future together and, um, yeah, rock and roll. My pleasure. Thank you. Everyone, thanks for sticking around after the episode to catch this sample of the audiobook version of the Bullhearted brand. I selected one chapter just to give you a little taste of what it sounds like and kind of what the content's all about, and I do hope you enjoy it. If you do, it's currently available on Google Play as well as Apple Books, and we're just waiting to hear word from um, Audible, and I'm really excited about that one as well. So without further ado, enjoy. Branding Truth 3 Table stakes are not differentiators. Too often, we're confronted with a trend-following vision for a new concept. Farm-to-table, chef-driven, craft burgers. The list is seemingly never-ending and always changing. The thinking makes a lot of sense, 
Capitalize on what's buzzing with consumers at that moment. Build a concept quickly and scale it as fast as possible. However, trends come and go, and with them, the concepts that didn't have the foundations behind exploiting the consumer's fickle attention. Trends fluctuate, but consumer expectations are much less transient. Expectations are in constant growth, influenced by trends, culture, and other factors. Yes, trends can and do affect consumer expectations, but they are soon absorbed into expectations. And consumer expectations are not differentiators. They are table stakes. In gambling, a table stake is the cost of being at the table. It's the bottom line requirement to play the game. As trends take hold and proliferate, they morph from a unique feature that gets attention into an expectation, a table stake. When a trend becomes an expectation, concepts built upon that trend lose their luster and their market share. While there may be wild success in the immediate future, the long term is bleak if the brand doesn't have anything deeper than the exploiting trend. You can take almost every trend and find the shortcomings of a brand that led it. Better burgers, chef-driven fast casuals, frozen yogurt, and farm-to-table concepts all had a lot of momentum at one time. But each category is currently in the denouement of its trend. What's left are the concepts that told a better, deeper story, and the remnants of the ones that didn't. In the last year alone, the United States has seen the rise of many trends. The larger ones make their way into expectations. The smaller ones simply fade out. Example, frozen yogurt, poke bowls. One of the larger trends in recent history was the craft food movement and the rise of chef-driven cuisine at fast casual restaurants. These features are no longer unique, as most concepts tout the very same things. Even farm-to-table has been watered down and muddied with questionable practices that leave consumers questioning the validity of the claims. In today's reality, simply making claims like these isn't enough. Consumers need to know the details. They need to know how, and most importantly, why the brand has chosen to be chef-driven or farm-to-table. How does it align with the restaurant's values? Why does it matter to the restaurant? And why should it matter to the person? Through abuse and overuse, we as an industry have neutered the believability and power of words like craft and farm-to-table. Brands that built their restaurant on those foundations alone now feel the pain of frustration as competitors nip at their heels or successfully strip market share away from them. And there's not much that can be done because trends aren't differentiators. There will always be an influx of trends in food categories and methodologies. What won't change is the consumer's demand for honesty and a clear show of values from a brand. Restaurants that adapt this thinking and build their brands on honest values will continue to thrive. Brands are deeper than the product they sell and the manner in which they sell it. If you love what we served up, please follow us at Vigor Branding on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Medium. Fork Tales is produced by the team at Vigor. Audio and video post productions provided by Zencaster. Music performed by Jet Trash and licensed through musicbed.com. Joseph handles his own hair, makeup, and stunts. Copyright 2003 to 2021, Vigor Graphic Design, LLC, all rights reserved.